Welcome, everybody. Hey, we're, I'm really excited about today. Uh, we have Mr. Michelangelo Na back on the show today, and we're doing a musical show. We do it about every six weeks. And this time, last time we sort of picked Mozart. He was less wanted for wanting to do that, but I love Mozart, and so we picked him. So uh, we're doing uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart today, we're doing his chart, as well as we're looking at his music and how it worked with this chart. So it'll be a very interesting conversation between him and him and me. And so also we're going to have on our Celebrity of the Week, which will be Wolfie Mozart, of course. Uh, the good thing is that his father was right in tune with his son at the time of birth, and he recorded the time of birth when the baby was born. So that was very, that was repression of him. That was very cool. So anyway, um, yeah, we're going to have a great time today because uh, Mozart just, um, it he just delivers the goods. And I mean, he did so much in his life. He, he composed over 600 pieces and he was only 35 when he died, you know, so he was really a child prodigy for sure. And so we're going to play a bunch of about five, four selections from his different music from different periods. And we'll talk about that, too, as they play. So anyway, I'm looking forward to today's show because I love this composer and it's taken me a long time for him to really embrace him. But I've sung a lot of him um, when I used to do music and sang the Mozart Requiem and a few other things, too, and studied a lot of his music to sing. And it was just really amazing stuff. So we're going to have him on the show here in just a second. So anyway, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we get back, we're going to have the Astro Celebrity of the Week. And we're going to bring on Michelangelo, too, to help us with this. So it's the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, I love that. That's like taking a really clean shower. <laughs> for some reason, I, I sort of equate it with that. I don't know why. But, What's uh, that? Sorry. But, hi there, Michelangelo. Hi. How are you? Good. I got carried away. I don't mean to interrupt, but it's that lovely, pure C major you're listening to. It That's, is. I suppose, it is. the musical equivalent of a nice shower. Very it is. It's just purifying to listen to it. It really is. <laughs> and, you know, considering he wrote that when he was 10 years old, that's when he wrote this piece and the rest of the opera that went with it from Adam E. Delmineo. And yeah. I haven't actually heard the opera myself. Have you heard it? I've worked on a few of the arias, yeah, and okay. uh, you know it's it's very accomplished. You yeah, know? Uh, he was yeah. he was given quite a bit of acclaim at the time when he did it, you know, yeah. and um, yeah. so anyway, let's start on his chart here. All right, I love that music. I just get taken away with it. Okay, anyway, um, his birth date is January twenty seventh, seventeen fifty six, at eight p.m. in the evening, license uh, local mean time in Salzburg, Austria. Okay, so which was, of course, at that time part of the Holy Roman Empire, the modern state right. of Austria didn't exist. Yeah, and uh, it's you know it's interesting for us to to look back at those times and and uh, recognize that the, the whole uh, that's right yeah sense of Europe and uh, that we as we understand it as twenty first century uh, people was yes. not the case. Yeah. You know, you know, I remember looking yeah. at his bio and it said what nationality he was. And he says he's Roman. I went what? Yeah. Yeah. Roman? Wait, is that like? No, it's not. It's not like Gypsy Roman, is it? What is that? No. You know. <laughs> yeah. Although he was very much like a gypsy, wasn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, he, he lived the itinerant, you know, uh, life of a traveling virtuoso, for want of a better term, with his sister uh, yes. Nanerl, as they refer to her. You know, his, yeah. His promise was recognized very early on by his father, who was sort of a minor composer and yes. uh, a very good teacher, and so he decided that he would use the kids to to make money basically and i believe uh, his mother played organ somewhere 
or yeah, yeah. yeah it was a very so. musical family, obviously. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wondered about that that eight o'clock time. It seemed unduly precise, but I, you know, I did a fair amount of checking of you know solar arc progressions, and I would say that it's probably pretty accurate. You know, it might be off by a minute or two if we really yeah. wanted to do a full blown rectification. But I, uh, I, I checked on it too under Astro yeah, Data Bank, yeah. and it said that it was recorded at eight p.m. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, somebody yeah. was there that recorded it. Yeah. So and yes. also his father was there too, and I believe his father re remembered it too. Yeah, that's yeah. what my source said too. Yeah, but I gotta be frank. I mean, in looking at the chart, I didn't go va va voom like I did. <laughs> I've, I've done with some other people, and I don't yeah. know how you felt about that as well. I mean, there are there are some you know highly um, charged uh, aspects. Certainly, the the out of bounds Mars elevated right, in the tenth right. house is. And of course, it's at the Aries point for those of you listening that know this what the Aries point true. is. This is very true. It is. And it's yeah. also retrograde. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there's that right away. And of course, it's in the 10th of vocation. Yep. And uh, for me, in, in all the charts of uh, horoscopes, you know, of, of composers and novelists and people that, that seem to be able to produce voluminous amounts of something, whether it be mm -hmm. words or tone or whatever yeah. they're almost always as a preponderance of air and we've got a lot of air in the chart yes, for we sure do, don't we yes. yeah yeah well, five planets in air i think the most obvious thing to me when i looked at this chart the first time i remember i said well no wonder you know yeah. i mean the thing that's really key here is the neptune opposing his trio down in the fifth house oh, i mean okay. to me that says he's channeling that music from higher uh -huh. up you know, well, it's that's a good like, way to look at it. Way yeah, the heck absolutely. up there, and of course, the the remember what um, he said in in the movie. He said, "When where is the music of the magic flute?" And he says, "It's up here. It's in my head. It's yeah, in my yeah. head. I just yeah. haven't written it down yet." You probably yeah. did say that at one time, because yeah, I believe this. It would have to be somewhere, because he ha literally, to me, had a storage house of unwritten music waiting for him to write it down to me yeah of course that is the legend but i mean i, I think you're absolutely right i mean i think the contact of neptune particularly obviously with mercury you know uh, yes. suggests that you know he was able to um bring the inchoate into form you know because uh, that's the challenge with particularly with music i mean of all our art forms it's the one that is the closest yes to divinity, right? It's, it it's imminent and it, it only lingers as long as it resounds in air and then it's gone forever. I mean, it, we That's record right. it, but it's not the same thing. So I think Neptune, you know, is certainly uh, probably most representative yep. of music. And of then it's the South Node in Pisces, you yep. know, so mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, an echo of that on the other side of the chart and yep. also next to Uranus, which is planetary ruler of that, you know, so, I mean, it's all tied in together. You yeah. know, that he did make strides and he made changes to the basic form of music as he went on in his life, in his short life. Oh, yeah. Oh, no question really, about that. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. So I... And of course, we... Go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and we have Mercury, of course, in an air sign, and it has dominion over not only the ascendant, but also the midheaven. So this yes, really shows does. us that there's a pronounced mercurial cast, even though Mercury is combust or it's under the under the light of the sun. Yes, and the it is, isn't it? Traditions would say, well, you know, maybe not so, but some of the modern commentators think that uh, it lends the planet a certain purity of purpose yeah. and so that it's not tainted. I mean, we could look at the sun in a sense as, as uh, the influence of, of others, perhaps, yeah. you know, particularly yeah. in an era when yeah. for musicians at all to thrive, that they, they had to be under the patronage of yeah of, of royalty or at least at the very least people with money you know mm -hmm. and so uh yeah exactly there is that yeah you know and and two um i remember a few months ago i did the chart of eddie van halen after he passed away oh you did okay. yes i did and yeah. I, I noticed that his birthday was uh 200 years and one day away from the birthday of mozart and ah this is a good point yes it, and I, I compared the charts, and there were a lot of south node and planets connecting to each other between mm -hmm. the two charts. And I sort of theorized, based on the fact that Eddie Van Halen was a prodigy, a musical yeah. prodigy early on, and he For played sure. a lot of Mozart when he was a kid. And ah, he loved Mozart. And, of course, he named his kid after Wolfgang, you know. Uh -huh. And so I didn't know that. 
I had a theory that he may have been Mozart reincarnated. No. Yeah, I actually yeah, yeah. voiced it. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm saying this, but really, truthfully, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously in totally different styles, but, you know, Eddie Van Halen was kind of a rebel <laughs> and kind of a renegade, too, sort of like yeah, Mozart yeah. was, you yeah. know, and started very early in life, and their birth dates were so close. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting because that decan of Aquarius, that, that first decan of Aquarius, um, has more famous creative artists born in it than any other 10-day period in the calendar. I did not know that. That's yeah, I've, I've got a, I got a little bit of a list here if I can find it. Oh, uh, that would be good to see. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Okay. Uh, where is it here? Uh, okay, we have to take a break really quick. While you're hey. looking for that list, I'm yep. going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back here with the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to new pro supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, February 28th, it's Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald on Animal World. This month, Kevin welcomes author Brett Satterfield, motivational speaker and coach Georgia Woodbean, and marriage and family therapist Dr. Anna Bugatti. It should be a great show. I hope you can join him for Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. It's interesting. It's called Ein Knock Music. That's night music, right? Yeah. That's pretty wild and, rebu and robust for night music. That's not going to put yeah, you to sleep. Yeah, probably sort of construed as occasional music, you know, so an evening serenade. Okay. Oh, all not right. Not so much a nocturne, per se. It's not exactly you know. something to lull you to sleep. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that is that was written in 1787. That's when he was approximately 16 years old, I believe. Yeah. And um, that's the first movement of it, just the beginning of it. So just thought to throw that in there. So. Okay, you're going to read um, what? Was yeah, it? I got a I got a little list here. Uh, okay, that, this so, is cool. And for those of you of, uh, in the audience who don't know about the decans, this is a, a division of the zodiac into ten degree segments. It goes all the way back to Egyptian times, and um, the first decan of Aquarius, according to esoteric societies like the Golden Dawn and other sources you can find, is associated with Venus in Aquarius. Okay. And, of course, Mozart oh. had Venus in Aquarius. Okay. And uh, a list I have here are people like Robbie Burns, Lord Byron, Arthur Rubenstein, the famous 20th century oh. uh, virtuoso pianist, Lewis Carroll, Edouard Manet, Virginia Woolf, and Emmanuel Swedenborg. And oh. there's many others. Wow. So this, this 10, and of course, we can include Eddie Van Halen, obviously. Yes, we in, certainly can. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah. I, I was when I was reading his biography, he was talking about Mozart, and of course, immediately my attention got grabbed by that. And and I kept reading on it and said he was really involved with with Mozart, studied it quite a lot. And mm -hmm. and I thought, well, I wonder when his birthday is. And I said, N January 20th, 26th, or 20th, I think, or 28th. Mm -hmm. I think it was a day mm -hmm. difference. I said, yeah. well, okay. So it came in on the same train, basically. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. and yeah. Um, yeah, I I just had this feeling. I had a visual in my head of the moment he incarnated. He was passing uh, Mozart as he was, and they kind of shook hands or something, and they just you know they made an agreement to to huh? to exchange, you know, the knowledge for for meeting each other type of thing. Yeah, yeah, and. I don't know where that came from, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it sounds sounds cool. It's I mean, this is the interesting paradox that we have when we when we talk about classical musicians vis-a-vis -vis, you know uh, pop musicians is right. that you know pop musicians have this massive uh, international appeal. You yes. know, that cl classical musicians certainly in, in that era. No, not nearly on the local. same par. But it yeah, was considered they were massively oh, yeah. huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. and of time. course the the proliferation of their influence over time is you know indisputable. But uh, but yeah. it's interesting to think that you know a lot of classical musicians would say, okay, well we did that, we did the the sort of art for art's sake thing. Let's come back and and reach people. You know? Yeah, and, right, uh, uh, right, exactly. And, and right. Eddie Van Halen certainly did reach a lot of people for sure. Yeah, he did. He reached a heck yeah. of a lot of people, and he was a very sweet guy. 
too. And he yeah. was married to Valerie Bertinelli. And, um, oh, that's right. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. And of course, yeah. their son, Wolfgang, you yeah, know, so is a musician. Wolfgang. Wolfgang. <laughs> <laughs> and he loves yeah. Mozart himself, the son. Ah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's handing Fantastic. that down from his father, from Mozart. I mean, it's coming yeah. down. It's like they were related or something, you know, uh-huh. on a, some sort of strange cosmic level. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think that's pretty amazing, you know. Yeah. And um, I, when I found that, I got really excited. So I couldn't wait yeah. to share it on the air the next day when I was here. Oh, but, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I thought, well, you know, there's connection, obviously. There is a connection. That's the main thing. And where did that connection come from? You know, yeah. and so that's just really amazing to me. So do you have anything to say about Unkleine Nacht music when I picked? Well, you, um, picked, you picked it, actually. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a Mozart did manifest, you know, mastery across all the different musical forms, you know, yeah. everything from string quartet to to songs to choral pieces to opera. Obviously, wrote many yeah. operas, some of the most Don Giovanni, probably. Yes. Widely regarded as one of the most important operas of all time, maybe only second it to really Puccini's Tosca, was, yeah. you know, and uh, so it's just typical of his, you know, the thing about being a composer at that point was that it was not our 19th century notion of the auteur, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that whole notion doesn't come about for two, at least another 150 years. So, right, right. So we have the notion that these people are writing music in order to satisfy the whims if you will of various patrons right and uh some of it you know it wouldn't be that they would necessarily accept a very large commission for their work they would be on salary and they would be expected to produce you know johann sebastian bach pretty much the same thing he was a local church organist and he wrote music for his church you know so i mean it's a it's an interesting phenomenon to to uh, confront you know in retrospect to realize that this is a, a professional man doing his job yeah. Uh, the, the level of inspiration obviously is well above hack work, you know, and, yeah. uh, but he's, he's writing to order in a sense. He's not, how should we say it? He's not being struck, you know, by the great creative idea and said, oh, right. I must, you know, I must now write this piece, you know, right. it's obviously coming to him in an effortless fashion, but it's not, uh, it is, is very much more to satisfy the needs of a fairly, uh, yes, this commission, shall we say, hmm? A fairly fickle audience, you know? I mean, yeah, the they were kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, and it seems like he came along and he would do something so different. And uh, I remember, I'm sure you saw the movie Amadeus, and it was fairly well done. I mean, yeah, yeah. as far as content and how it possibly mirrored his life along the way. So the Salieri part was a little bit in question, but yeah. um, there was, you know... The, the debut, I think it was Mozart. Um, it was Mozart, uh, yes. Wait a minute, Figaro. There's a Figaro. Uh, Nozzi Figaro. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, of course, they were introducing the concept of having a dance in the middle of it, which was not regarded well by the emperor that time. It was against yeah. the rules to put a dance in the middle of your opera. And yeah, then, of sure. course, in the movie, they show them dancing to no music at all. And it's very funny. But, yeah. you know, I, I have a feeling that was that, that actually happened in that yeah. sense. Or certainly something to that effect. Right, yeah. exactly. Well, you know, that Out of Bounds Mars would, would mean yes. probably in many ways this would be someone that wouldn't willingly yeah. tolerate limits, you know. And, yeah, uh, I mean, that really does show that he has to go for what he has to have. It's up to him. Yeah. If it is yeah. to be, it is up to me to do it. Yeah. 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 And of course, let's go down to what's harboring it. And that's that Pluto moon in the fourth house. Yeah. I wondered what you thought about that. Uh, it's almost exactly conjoined one I minute know. away. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was his father, even though, yeah. you know, I'm pretty sure it was. You know, yeah. his mother was rather, she had a bit of a scatological humor, I believe. She was always telling dirty jokes to her son. The yeah, well, they stuff. reveled. They reveled in dirty jokes, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and as you said, scatological humor. Yeah, yes, quite and notorious actually. That could be part of the Pluto down there, but this was her, his dad. There's no uh-huh. doubt he was scared to death of his father. Uh-huh. He really was, you yeah. know. And the amazing thing is that the man they that played it in the movie, he looked almost identical to the real Leopold. He did. Yeah. I mean, they picked somebody that literally was a reincarnation of him. You yeah. know, and um, 
and it, it was just, it was really sad to watch him s- shrivel up into a tiny person around this bigger person, yeah. you know, and you could tell that's the Pluto business for sure. Yeah. This fear of him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And of course, the whole idea of, of, you know, the home really not being the home in a sense that they were itinerant, you know, yes. musicians. And, yes. uh, and, and I also, with Sagittarius, I always come back to the whole fun-loving nature of Sagittarius. Yeah, and the traveling nature all over Europe, you know. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that was the travel part of it. So, yeah. I mean, on some levels, he probably had some fun, but there was some deep fear behind there. You know, that maybe it will all come to an end or something was going to end about it with that Pluto there. Yeah. You know, know? I think it's interesting, too, to look at the Chiron and Capricorn then in that regard, because that certainly would also relate to difficulties with the father and with authority figures in general. I don't have uh, it on my chart. It's in Capricorn. Yeah. at 13 cap. So it's just just uh, uh, as a a colleague of ours once said, it wants to be in the next house. So it's just at the end of the fourth, but it really wants to be in the fifth. And so the way I'd interpret that is that this is someone who is desperately trying to escape that authoritarian home environment or authority in general and become his own authority as a as a creative uh, individual, which he eventually did to a certain extent over time. So yeah. it was 14 Capricorn, you said, right? Uh, 13. Um, 13 Cap- Oh, that's where my Chiron is. No, yeah. it's an 11 Capricorn. Okay, mm-hmm. that's weird. Anyway, um, so... Yeah, 13, 13, 10 Capricorn okay. is what I've got here. On so it's not conjoining anything, but... No. It's squared. Well, it's it's kind of squaring Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that also could be authority as well. Yeah, that Chiron thing is like where in the life you have the difficulty that you have to heal. You know, yeah. who is it with, what needs to be done, and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, oh, that, that would be difficult, you know, and yeah. um, that's where the issues were. I mean, if you're looking for the Pluto, Pluto moon, which is one thing, but finding the Chiron and Capricorn, go, oh, there's a secondary influence right there that has yeah, to play out. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I, I kind of wonder, because um, he did have this fun-loving sort of personality, you know, yeah. with the fifth house stuff and opposing Neptune. So the, the great deal of, about drinking, and I don't know if he was an, actually an alcoholic, though. They said, yeah. I was reading this, the stuff that I was reading said that he wasn't one. Yeah, I don't recall seeing anything. But, yeah, um, but um, there was just... Uh, something that caused him really to almost self self sabotage don't you think mm-hmm. well how would how would you explain that self sabotage a fact that he could never really make enough money to pay for his living oh i see yeah but yeah. that was that was often the case yeah I, I he was know. borrowing from friends at the end of his life you know yeah. and he couldn't actually really um support himself yeah. you know he over, overdid it he, he you know Oh, well, Jupiter in the second, that would do it, wouldn't it? <laughs> sure, in, in, in Libra, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, would, that would, you surmise that that would mean that he would be inclined to get a lot of money, but if depends, that means you probably wasted away, too, real quick. So yeah. it's on the flip side of that. So yeah. and, then I look, and then I look at Saturn in the fifth yes. as being, even though there's a great deal of fecundity there, there's still the sense that it's, it's limited in some way, and it, obviously yeah. in a particular Right, pecuniary fashion, you know. And and here again, we get back to the father image, the Saturn son. You know, he's expected to be like his father. You know, he in his mind and also his father thinks that too. And so there is that. And yet he is born in Aquarius, which means he has to throw all that out and do what his own thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and in that time of history, that's not something you did with a great deal of success. No, I mean, no. Um, it was the the family uh, form, you know, handing down from father to son to grandchild, was this very strong um, lineage, and it yeah. was always depending on the country. But of course, it would be I mean, no matter where it would be in Europe. But um, you know, having that that slightly rebellious, restless side, which he did, it was it's sort of like every time he went into a commission and took it. And after a while, he just got fed up with it. He got tired of it. Yeah. You feel confined yeah. by it. Yeah. So. Well, Uranus in the seventh, I think, would have a lot to uh, say to do with that. And also just the idea that as I look at it, it squares that moon Pluto. So 
there's the, the rebellious streak and the desire for freedom versus that constraint, you know, yeah. however you want to I mean, that would have to feel extremely frustrating. So yeah. anyway, we're yeah. going to take a break here. When we get back, we're going to be talking about some Mr. Mozart a little bit more. So this is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Barrel Full of Monkeys Productions. The production company of Barrel Full of Monkeys is, is started by Mr. Matt Shea, and he has started this venture with four of us that are reading a collection of Matt, Matt's writings in mini audiobook form. Our first audiobook is now out. It's only $5, and you can order that at mattsheabooks.net. We'll be working on the second one, and we're working on it now. We're working on getting a second or third person in uh, to read another book to to create the whole file. And so it may be a little bit, we keep, I keep telling you, it's like literally around the corner, but it's not quite there yet. But it, we do have another person to read, and we're excited. So anyway, it's Mary Beckman, by the way, in case you want to know. She's a rock and roll psychic, so that'll be cool. So anyway, uh, don't forget one of Matt's finest books, The Meadowdale Community Project. It's a real winner, and he would love to hear from you and promises to answer any or all that contact him. You can write to him at his personal email address at workinmatt7, that's W-O-R-K-N-M-A-T-T-7, at AOL.com. And don't forget his website, www.mattshaybooks.net. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Okay, now I bet you don't know what that was. And I didn't even know what it was until I found out that he actually wrote a Jupiter Symphony. Ha ha. I told you that. (laughs) Yes, you did. And, you know, I didn't. I sort of remember in the back of my mind that he did it years ago, but it kind of just came flooding forward. And I thought... Well, it's perfect that you would suggest that given the show. So I figured it was a good thing to play on the show today. And it's interesting to contrast it to Holst's version of that, which is quite different, obviously. Yeah, but still full of good humor, I think. Yeah, yeah. Optimism and. uh... Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what his where his inspiration came from. You know, I mean, every particular composer has their own point of view on everything. But um, I, I haven't read anything about it, so I can't comment. Oh, okay. But, uh, That's fine. Yeah, this is yeah. one of his final pieces, too. He wrote it in mm-hmm. 1791, and yeah. right behind, right in back of um, The Magic Flute, So, and which is our next segment coming up. And mm-hmm. so um, this is when he was starting to get really sick. Yeah. And um, you have this, okay, well, let's, let's step into this theory, this astrologer friend of yours thinks that he actually did not die during the time that he died, but he yeah. faked his own death and he went on to become a diplomatic person. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting idea. A, a, a very <clears throat> colleague of ours, quite a brilliant astrologer, David Roll. I don't know how many of you in the audience would know, but he ran the uh, Astro- Astrological Center of America for many years. Okay. He died early. Uh, but, but Dave has a whole essay on his website about the fact that the reports about Mozart's death, the, cause, the illness that supposedly took him off, the, uh, you know, the, the timeline and everything are so, uh, what's the word I would use? Vague? Contradictory and vague. Oh. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> he, you know, he apparently did a fair amount of research and he came to the conclusion that he did indeed fake his death. He left Vienna to escape a certain uh, Punitive action, shall we say? I oh, yeah, he was pretty much in hide and decked when he when he died. So yeah, yeah, and he fled to Prague, if I remember correctly, and there he reinvented himself as this Danish diplomat named Nissen. And when you look at portraits of, of Nissen and Mozart, they look like twins. Oh, really? The fascinating thing, of course, is that Nissen came back to Vienna 
married Costanza and then lived out his life and wrote one of the very first biographies of Mozart. No so you really kidding. Have to wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He married his former wife. Uh huh. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, by so, the way, honey, I'm Mozart. You know. Oh, yeah. uh huh. What? Well, she would have. She would have known. Probably. Oh, for sure, she would have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But again, I haven't delved into too too much. I would. Uh, that's the next step I'm going to look at. Well, that's pretty. Of... Did you happen to find the chart of this guy? If there no, is a chart. Hmm? Yeah, I haven't looked for it yet. There may be. There okay. May be. It'd be very interesting to see. Yeah. I was going to look from my perspective at the, the chart for the proposed death. Oh, you know, right, at, right. On the, on the, in December of 1791 and see if I thought it looked like a death chart, you know, and to see, according to the traditions, whether Mozart was indeed fated to have a short life or whether there's a longer life that, um, you know, was cut short, perhaps. Right. And may, but maybe not cut short, only cut short in the sense right. that yeah, I, I know what you're else. saying. Yeah. Well, it seemed to me that he crammed so much writing in a, such a short period of time. It's as though somehow his soul knew he wouldn't be here that long. I don't know, but that's just be, sort of my guess. Yeah, yeah, you know, no. and I wrote, let's see, I wrote down how he died. It was sort of a militia fever, something like that. A militia fever, whatever that see, that's, means. That's yeah. what I wrote down. And I thought, yeah. well, never heard of that. Yeah. So, um, but he was really tanking in the last few weeks of his life. Yeah. So, yeah. and so he was also a, writing the, the the requiem, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's an interesting theory. Uh, and as I said, I think it's worth exploring. And uh, yeah, I mean that would be interesting to explore. It would yeah. be. Yeah. Difficult, and, but 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 at least worth a few. Too many coincidences there. Way yeah, too yeah. many, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I remember in the movie. You know, that brilliant scene between Salieri and Mozart when they're co-writing that music. That was brilliant, you know. Um, I I just thought it was so well done. And um, it it really seemed real to me that they were doing it together. And so even though I don't think it really happened because Salieri really wasn't a part of that. but, um, But it was still amazing. And yet he was having his student help him write it at the end because... I think only the first movement of the of the uh, Requiem was the only one really truly written by Mozart. The rest was written by a student. I well, think. That, yeah, that's open to dispute, but but yeah, according um, to legend, he finished the Lacrimosa. And yeah, his pen right. And I'd heard and that, that too, and I said, "Well, okay." I read the you know just the one. I said, "No, I think the other maybe a couple more in there that he wrote," you know, yeah. because I've sung the Mozart Requiem. And I remember after a certain point, it got boring, you Uh know, and it could tell it just felt different, you know, and uh, the first three were really magnificent. And, you know, and then after that, it just kind of went downhill from there. You know, it sounded kind of canned. You know what I mean? It's just a a sense of it when um, when we performed it. yeah, a lot of people feel that Zeusmeyer, who supposedly finished it, would, would not have been capable of the task. Uh, oh, they could, he uh, couldn't tap into what Mozart was doing. Yeah, yeah. It was almost impossible. So, yeah. yeah, it was... I wonder if that was really true, the man that came and, and the man with the mask and said, oh. will you co- compose the Requiem for me and I will give you this much money? And he knew he was writing his own death stuff. He knew yeah, it. Yeah. Well, it makes for a great story. For it sure. really does, doesn't it? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was pretty amazing. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what else in here that we want to talk about. Um, well, I wondered what you thought. I mean, here's a man who is a, a consummate artist, but he has Venus at at anoretic degree, right? He has Venus at 29, which is a, sort of a classic. Uh, Debility, and it's stuck there in the sixth house. Now we did touch before we went on the air about the fact that he loved pets. So there's Venus. Yes, he did. In the yeah. sixth of small animals, right? And yes, I, mentioned I think he had several he actually, of them at one time with his wife, about four yeah, or five actually, of them. He actually kept a pet starling, who, again, according to the to the legend, he was walking by a pet shop, and the starling whistled a few notes from um, something from I think Nosy de Figaro, if I remember correctly. Uh huh. And so he was so entranced with the fact that the, the starling knew some of his music that he took took him home with him. Oh, uh, that's sweet. A very beloved pet. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's the sixth house. But but 
you know, for someone who's such a famous artist, for his his Venus to be sort of marooned there in, in the middle of yeah, it was, a succeeding house, you know. Yeah, it's, I wonder it, what you thought. It just sort of, to me, it says that whatever he did, it was pretty, <laughs> you know. And, of course, it was beautiful, the music he wrote. But yeah. um, it, it seems, too, that a sixth house Venus could be very self-analytical. Uh-huh. Very yeah. self-analytical. And he yeah. was really on himself quite a bit when he grew mm-hmm. up. And yeah. that, that you could also probably look to the Pluto moon conjunction, too. But yeah, but yeah. the sixth house Venus would have been, you know, the ability to like oneself and like other people is mm-hmm. a little bit impaired, to say yeah. the least. Mm-hmm. You know, so it probably meant, and with the fifth house business with all his major planets, you know, the business of being liked would have been extremely important to him. Don't you think? Yeah, that's a yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the ways I'd look at it, and just I'll just throw it out, is that of course we associate the the sixth house, or at least some commentators, I think maybe Stephen Forrest actually associates it with mentorship. Oh. But go ahead. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. But in this context, again, I'm almost tempted to think of it once again as patronage. Patronage. So the idea that his Venus is constantly in service. I mean, there's oh, a, yeah. there's, a, there's a sixth house idea of a patron, you know, also, right. and, and that it, it's not. It's always fettered by, again, other people's um, expectations and demands. And uh, yeah, and again, you have the, the, six house Aquarius, so it means he could, and he probably he did this quite a bit when he ended up being a core composer. He would, he would get, um, he'd get rebellious, and he'd do something, mm-hmm. and they would fire him, you yeah, know. And yeah, that happened several yeah. times. Yeah. You know, I think that's just the lack of structure that he wanted in that particular area of his life. But it seems as though um, he was sort of maybe testing the waters to see what people would do. Yeah, sure. I just have a feeling after seeing the movie, it just makes sense. You know, he's going to do mm-hmm. something on purpose, accidentally yeah, yeah. on purpose, just to see what yeah, people Yeah, well, there are all these um, Mercury-Mars midpoints, you know, and I again, I associate those with, with wit, but also this idea that you know, he's really only going to take so much. After, yeah, uh, right. And then he's going to rebel one yeah. way or another. Yeah, and, and say something he shouldn't. Or and of course, that also took form in his music too. You know, yeah. he was changing the forms as he went. You yeah. know, and he was, he would take a specific type of music and stay on it for a long time, like operas or concertos. Piano concertos was a big thing for him. And then yeah. other stuff. And then he would change to another uh, particular avenue of music and try that for a while. Because yeah. I, basically he got bored, I have a feeling. Because sure. to me, that says this chart says boredom is a really high, very high threshold of it. You know, yeah. extremely high. You know, where yeah. it'd be, he, would, he would just do a bunch of stuff and he would, he would do it all the time so much that he would get bored with it. Now, that's a weird thing to say. But... Yeah. Well, not really. If you're constantly, you know, being compelled to write to fulfill someone else's expectations, right, right. It, it would get boring. It's like it's like any job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, this is a, a peculiar irony here in that most artists crave steady employment, you know, and right. they crave, you know, and they crave financial support. But right. it's a two edged sword. You know, right. someone becomes your patron. Then all of a sudden, you know, your art is at least to a certain extent tainted. Tainted yeah, by commerce. Yeah, and, and you I'm have. Sure, he must have felt that. You're right, and you probably had some level of comfort for that, but somehow he didn't want the comfort. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing is too, that oh, there was something I was just thinking about saying, and it went right out of my head. Shoot, um, hang on a second, it'll come around. Anyway, yeah. I was thinking about um, how he probably. Oh yeah, it just came back. Okay, he had all this music in his head playing all the time. And he also, when he remember and he presented all that music to the court composer, he says, oh, please don't Mm -hmm. mess any of them up. These are first drafts. They were right out of his head onto the paper. They were nothing repeated, you know. And I thought, well, that's a sign that his brain was so overactive and so much he had it. It's like, you know, listening on the, through a computer thing, and hearing all this music and you're expected to transcribe it all and you can't do it. And yet he did as much as yeah. he could do, you know. 
but it was real natural for him because that was his own music and it was brand new, you know, and so he had an unusual gift for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Apropos that, I just wanted to interject something here about about the chart. Again, when I looked at it, I thought, yeah, this is a good chart. But but then I noticed, and I don't know, you know, what, what program you use when you're analyzing charts, but I use Sirius 3.0 in, in oh. my aspect grid. Suddenly I see all these quintiles and biquintiles. Oh. And I say, aha, there's the, uh, there's the underlying symmetry oh, that I was it. missing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you look at his fifth harmonic chart you see some really extraordinary oh. alignment of planets that is not readily apparent from the radix that makes you know, total uh, sense yeah, yeah he's got yeah. venus quintiling moon and pluto doesn't he there you go yeah so yeah see those that's three... the only ones i have listed on here i use a macintosh comp- uh, program yeah called io astrology and it's yeah. only got the two on here but i don't think i have it set for the biquintile so yeah. i need to do that so, uh, but, so you get a really dynamic fifth. Yeah, quintiles really chart. gifted, really, really yeah. gifted. So. And so the you know the, the pure joy of, of creativity, which is very yes, much exactly. embodied in that. Okay, we got to take another harmonic. really quick break. When we get back here, we'll be finishing up with Mr. Michelangelo. Nah, this is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom from the Medicare Exchange. Susan Bergstrom is a licensed agent in Washington and Oregon, helping people obtain security in their lives by providing insurance that pays for final expenses and money for transitioning after a loved one dies. Retirement consists of lots of moving parts. She will help you with Medicare plans that are best suited to your needs. Medicare is not only state-specific, but is county-specific as well. Having a lot of opportunities, she will help you narrow down your choices to one that is suitable to your health and financial needs. This includes Advantage plans, supplements, and prescription drug plans, the Part D in Medicare. Seniors can rely on Susan to help obtain financial security through many programs that protect seniors from market downturns and guarantee a competitive rate of return with no downside risks. Susan will also educate you in long-term care. This is an area many people do not plan for in retirement. Early planning can help protect your assets and provide dignity in your later years. Susan enjoys working with people and has partnered with a Medicare exchange located in Tacoma and Linwood, Washington. You can talk freely about your situation and you will know that Susan will work to make you comfortable in all decisions that need to be made. You can contact her at 253-318-9379 or email her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, you know, I had it ended with that one. It's just too fun. Uh, That is from the Magic Flute. It is uh, the uh, Queen of the Night coloratura aria, which is the hardest aria ever written for any soprano, from what I hear. Is that true? Pretty hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there are others that might be possible contenders. Yeah, but Glitter this is... Glitter and Begay from Candide, perhaps, or... Oh, I right. Mean, it, yeah, yeah. But it's hard, for sure. Hard. I mean, this, and... is, this is acrobatic in yeah. nature. I mean, you have to yeah. do headstands to do this. Now, yeah. I have to mention this because... Only because it's goofy. If you haven't seen it on Facebook, this aria is all over Facebook, except with the last note and a couple of phrases ended by a marmot. It's very cute. But it works because the the little squeal that marmot leaves is matching in the same um, thing of the music. So it's pretty cool. So I cracked up when I saw that. But um, that is a very famous aria from this very last opera that he wrote. Uh, the Magic Flute, and he actually wrote it. He had a commission to write it, and I do believe the story is that um, he was writing it, and the the proprietor came in to say, how's the music going? And he says, oh, I don't have any music on the page yet. He says, why not? He says, well, it's still in my head, you know, but we don't know if that actually did happen, but it would make sense. But he wrote it up very, very quick, and it, it was really a com- commedia dell'arte, or whatever you call it, call it. What is that? Um... Yeah, it's not technically committed. It, it was made for 
not the higher classes, but is made for the everyday people. Yeah, they, they called it a zingspiel. Uh, so zingspiel? Zingspiel, yeah, which oh, is okay. singing, singing game, basically. Singing okay, okay. Entertainment. Yeah, it's entertainment, yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember watching it in the movie, and everybody was laughing and goofing off, you know. But um, it was it was a, a fun sort of plot and very unusual from the rest of it compared to Don Giovanni. I mean, like... Yeah, well, what's interesting about the Die Zauberflute, the magic flute, is that it is steeped in Masonic symbolism. Ah, uh, yes. And, uh, you know, it really is a... Um, a very interesting archetypal journey that the hero Tamino, who's played by the tenor, goes through in in the course of of uniting with his true love, Pamina, the soprano. Um, right. It's a you know a very much a Jungian journey into darkness and then back out into the light. You know, with trials by fire and water and all these types of things. And wow. um, you know, when we look at his his Neptune there, you know, we see ah, there's the a, a potential mystical connection here for something like you know yeah. masonic ritual uh, that he most most assuredly incorporated into uh the magic flute it so, seems as though the neptune in the 11th that his music really did appeal to the everyday day guy oh, you yeah, know and that sure. seems like the neptune in the 11th would fit mm -hmm. you yeah. know and um i think he had a lot of fun writing that piece he must have but you know, we're not sure if he did or not because he was writing the mo the uh, requiem around the same time, I believe. Yeah, I think I I think I read somewhere that he would have identified very strongly with the bird catcher Papageno, oh, played yes, by the baritone, yes, yeah, right. who is the figure of comic relief in, yeah. in the piece, uh, and uh, was a wonderful character. Well, you know, when you have a chart like his with the fifth house, that's yeah. like a little boy, you know, who's always wanting well, to play. Most you know, and yeah. and he was a short little guy, five foot four, and mm -hmm. he was running around. And I mean, some of the stuff in the mo movie just seems so appropriate for him, playing around, playing around with his soon-to-be wife, and was yep. playing games. He was yep. like a little kid. Yeah, you I know. See. And with the fifth house, you would expect that. You know, this little child who is trying yep. to get out. You know, but having to be an adult, which that Saturn son there is what's doing yep. that. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing, you know. I think we covered him pretty well today. Yeah, I always got into some interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, as I say, I think there's a there's a lot of evidence suggests that he's not quite who we thought he was, but who he was was still pretty terrific anyway. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, probably true. Certainly, the musical legacy speaks for itself. Yes, you know, it does. Uh, over six hundred speculate. Go over six hundred pieces written, all yeah. over the map. You know, as far as. Yeah. Um, content type of film, things that he wrote and yeah. um there, there wasn't anything that he didn't do little tidbit here for you Eileen. just apropos of our discussion earlier about popular music versus classical music uh bbc online news i think uh, back in 2000 did a poll among their uh, listeners their readers to see who was the greatest composer of the millennium and uh, i have to say that mozart only came in second <laughs> He after, was Paul by, after Paul McCartney. After Paul McCartney. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing he that. even got on that list when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 He, very interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. So yeah. next time, let's figure out who we're going to talk about about another six weeks from now. Next time. Absolutely. This was yeah. my choice this time, but of I want course. you to make a choice for the next time. All right. I certainly will. Okay, great. <laughs> I love having you on. You're awesome. Oh, it's lovely to talk to you, Eileen. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I've yeah. really enjoyed this show a lot because I've yeah. wanted to do Mozart for a long time. So Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely giving me lots so of much. food for thought, and uh, I'll look forward to next time. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. for now. All right. Bye -bye. So let's see now. Um, next we have the upcoming events. Now, as we know that the uh, we've come out of a lockdown pretty much here in the Washington State, and uh, I'm going to be going back and doing readings at various places like at Pizza Casa and also Burr's Restaurant. Just haven't talked to them yet about that. And so um, I'm going to be doing that soon. Okay, and I'll see if there's anything else going on. Um, not really. I'm, I'm kind of developing some new things. I'm working on my book. And how much time have I got? Oh, that's a good day. All right. Um, I'm still working on my book. I'm probably going to get it done by the end of this year. That's what I hope anyway. I'm working on it a lot. 
And also I'm working on a project for somebody else, something I'm writing up about a certain person that I absolutely loved who's no longer with us. And so, yeah, things are kind of getting busier right now. So I'm very excited about things. So anyway, um, next week on the show, we're going to have on Wanda Buckner. She's going to be talking about how pets are instrumental in our healing right now, how we've been adopting more pets than normal. And so I wish I could say the same thing. I still don't have one, and I'm really feeling left out. So anyway, next week is that. And then the following week, we're going to have on Jackie Slevin, our favorite gal, who comes on every now and then. She talks about astrology, and we have a good time. So anyway, that's going to be it for us today. That was a fun show. I tell you, you know, Michelangelo was awesome, and I love talking about music with him. It's like having a very very intellectual, good conversation about, you know, a, a fantastic composer of ours who's, who's Mozart. So anyway... I think that's it for us. Do uh, we have anything else to do, uh, Nathan? If, anything you want to say for a minute? Otherwise, oh, okay, I know what I want to say. Um, I do do readings. I do do. I do do readings. And if you want to get a hold of me to have a reading, it is 206-816-0546. And I will do a, a reading for you, you know, uh, a natal reading, you know, astrocartography reading, whatever you want to do. So I've been wanting to, I never do champion my own cause here but what the heck i thought what a good time to do it so anyway that's going to be it for us today i hope you tune in next week to listen to wanda buckner and this is eileen grimes of the jupiter rising show and stay tuned for psychic spectrum see you next week on the jupiter rising show right here on kknw alternative talk radio